Happy New Year. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Because yeah. uh, our first episode of 2020. It is. I was telling you earlier, I feel bad because we uh, feel like we haven't recorded in a while. But I, I actually went back because I wanted to pull our predictions from last year. Mm-hmm. And I think every year around the holidays, we take like anywhere from two to four weeks off. Yeah. yeah. That's but yeah, it's got to be back. I'm glad we, I know I'm busy. You're probably busy. But I'm glad we, I'm, once, once we decide to take the time to do it, I'm, I'm glad we do. But yeah, and it's been, I'll tell you what, that's why I like, I started drinking wine before you got here. It's, like, <laughs> it's just, it's been one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those months, and one of those years. It, last year was, was an odd year, wasn't it? It was strange. It was for me. I think it was for you too. I think it was strange for a lot of people. I mean, even in my own family, we just, even celebrating the holidays was a bit off. It was just, it seemed like no one was really there. Like we were just kind of in our fog. We were just ready for the whole year to be over with. I don't really have anything concrete to point to that made it a good or bad year. It was just, it was just a year. Yeah. Um, well, um, I, I unfortunately failed to remember to bring it here, but I got, I did get you a Christmas gift, John. I haven't seen you since Christmas. So I'm going to, I'm going to send you a link to it just so you can, cause I want you this to see is, what it is. This is one of those years where I didn't get, didn't get you one. I know you usually do. I, normally yeah. I like show you up and get you uh, You something. do. Yeah. You, no, you, you've got some credit built up, so you're, you're good for this year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, check out your uh, iMessage. Oh yeah. It didn't get here in time, did it? Cause it takes forever. <laughs> no, I've got it at home. Oh, you do? Yeah. I just forgot to bring it. Came in a few weeks ago. Oh, sweet. Can't wait <laughs> So uh, for those who can't see, for, which is everyone except you and I, I got John the, uh, it's from for those shirts. who aren't watching us live on YouTube right now, <laughs> yeah, which is no one, uh, you know, I got John a shirt from shirt force and it's the, my code shirt. <laughs> it's really the, my everything, but the, it is, yeah. the most prominent thing is my code, but it's also got, you know, my package. So my, my one criticism <laughs> is that is not my shirt. I want a shirt that just says my code. That's well, all it says. You know, you, you can, can't say I've got else. some black gaffer tape over here. And that's a black shirt. So we can gaffer okay. everything out on there we'll except that. for my code. We'll do that. <laughs> it's going to be official. Uh, what is it? Johnism or whatever you want to call it. My totally code is. has to be the only thing that's, that's on it. Okay. All right. But it's not just your code, though. It's like you're everything. That's, that's what's funny about it. I mean, my code got it started, but that's certainly not the end. It's not my code. <laughs> Still prefer my code over other people's code. Well, speaking of um, Happy New Year's, um, you know, one, one thing I've, you know, if you look at Salesforce's, if you look like a, I don't know, like a, maybe like a five-year um, chart of their stock, I mean, you can really see how the past couple of years, it's just really traded sideways, hasn't really gone anywhere. And man, uh, the, for the f- first few days of this year, they're up like six or seven percent. Yes, because they're starting to pump the rumor mill. They did. Yeah. Did you see they, um, oh, they, they got some, um, one of these analysts to give them whatever is like the top rating, like it's beyond overweight or outperform or whatever. It's like, you got to go buy all this, like sell everything else and buy Salesforce. They give them that rating, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm, I'm well, not going to run out and do, but. Well, there's that. And then there's also the oh so convenient uh, buyout rumor that got started. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I've got and that on always, my list that's here. That's always going to bump the stock. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now or later, or, uh, or did you not want to talk about it? No, I, I, have, I have plans to talk about <laughs> okay. that, and I have plans to talk about some other stuff, too. But, uh, uh, oh, well, you can save it, then. We can save it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so how was your holidays? Uh, very low-key, a lot of relaxation, a lot of laziness. Um, I worked around it, so I yeah. worked up to it and took a day and then tried to work the next day and with some success, but, I mean, it was really tough. Um, and then, you know, tried to make time for the family cause my kids were bouncing off the walls. Um, yep. 
When did they go back to school? They were, they're back. When they went did this week? Back. This week? Yeah. It might start Tuesday, which I thought was odd. And uh, a colleague of mine, their kids didn't start till Tuesday. Hmm. So ours started Monday. You said yours started last week? No, this week, Tuesday. Though. Oh, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Why the Tuesday? I, I don't know. I assume it's because, you know, they only have to go to school so many days out of, out of year just by state law mm-hmm. and funding and all that. And I'm sure the schools, you know, they're not going to have anyone be in school for more than one day for, you know, past when they, when they statutorily have to have them in school. Yeah. And they usually manage that with teacher in service days right. and things like and the, that. And so. the, 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 the bad weather days yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So. Well, they're back and that's fun. Yeah. We'll see. I'm glad. I'm glad. Some normalcy's returning to the house. Schedules are getting primed just in time for spring break to rear, rear its head. And yeah. Everyone's schedules will be off. Yep. Um, hey, I wanted to ask you, someone posted this in the Slack earlier, but something about just asking about lightning message service, but I don't, I don't know if I kind of had looked into that before or not, but have you looked at this lightning message service? Mm, no. Is that part of the, um, platform events stuff? I don't think so. Cause it's, it looks like it is a hundred percent within the UI. I'm not even sure if it leaves the land of JavaScript on the front end, but it's, um, and the reason I ask you is because, well, one, I was. I'm curious about it, but also I thought, oh, I bet, I bet you could take advantage of this with, with your app. No, I'm trying not to. I am so sick of the way this application handles events. It bubbles it up all the way to the top. It reuses a single component event yeah. for all events, yep. which means it's, it's just very chatty. Everything's listening to everything. There's a ton of stop propagations here and there because obviously everything's listening to it and you don't want it to process there's not enough context even in so those the are those message. are those would be like browser like DOM events right if it's if it has stop propagation that's a that's a DOM thing right yeah I mean they're they're essentially browser events or whatever you want to call them that you fire off and then of course the browser handles sending it to all the components and that are listening <clears throat> for yep. those messages from mm-hmm. that component so. right now this is not so this is not component events or like um listening to a, a change of anything like that it's it's more of just a general like almost like a message bus in a way mm. so you can create channels you might have a channel called i don't know at you know like top level application events or something and uh anything like your lightning components your aura components even your visual force can both put messages onto this on into one of these channels it's like it's like a pub sub type of thing mm-hmm. and they can um they can put messages into it, and they can receive the messages. And it's the—I think it's the first way, maybe, to um, to have you know communication between Lightning components and Visual Force. Okay. Yeah. Mess- so I think right now we're reliant on events, but I think messaging is probably the proper way to do it because right now one of the challenges is, especially when you're talking native and custom, and you're you have your component on it, say, a, a I don't know, a detail page. We'll just use opportunities. Knowing when the opportunity changes, or at least notifying the UI that the opportunity has changed, is kind of an issue. And especially if you're doing mass editing and all that kind of stuff, it's kind of tough to let the application know, or at least consume, so that you know when something's changed that you care about, so you can refresh your component. Yeah. So I can see that being beneficial. Mm. But it is. It. I do think it's UI only. So if you're trying and to propagate server-based events, that's a, a different thing. Now, you. I. What I don't know. But I don't think you can. I'm guessing you can't. I don't, I'm not sure that you might be able to propagate server events into this, but I don't think so because the message channels themselves are specific to an instance, I'm doing scare quotes here, of Lightning. So basically, let's say you have two tabs open because mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, a, you're a power user, John. 
Mm -hmm. So you have two tabs of Salesforce Lightning experience open. Um, the messages that are, are yeah firing around in one of the tabs does not they don't it doesn't happen in the other in the other tab. And that's probably sandboxing that's doing that, right? I, I just think it, it never. I know. I think what it is, it stays in JavaScript. It never leaves. It never leaves the browser. It never. It goes back to the server. So how could it communicate across tabs? It, that would have to go through the server. And that's fine. That's the only thing. That's the only reason I would care about messaging is my component. Whatever interaction is happening on my component that I need to influence yeah. another component. It's so. It's so now that more that I think about this, it's not really for data change events in a way because right. you would want those to propagate yeah. across. Any component, right? Any sure. any user that might have data on that's affecting components on their screen, if changes happen to that data, you would want any of those users to that to propagate to whatever their app is. That'd be great, right? Mm -hmm. You know, real time, like the good old flex demos. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for there are certain interactions that that can happen without the need to go back to the server, and those are the type of interactions that I'm talking. about. I just about. think this is like this is purely UI state, like which window does the user have expanded. Or whatever, like that kind of stuff, you wouldn't want to propagate from two other tabs or to other users. Like, it's really just UI-based events. I think is 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 like one of the main use cases for this. Like, oh, he clicked this button. Okay, great. Then expand this tab open or what? Or, you know, not tab because I don't want. I don't mean browser. Tab. Like, expand this expando because they clicked a button. Like those types of events. Like anything that would care about when someone clicks on the expand button, for example. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I, I don't think it's like, oh, this account changed. Or, yeah, you know. I think it's going to be one of those technologies we have to find the sweet spot for. But I, you're right. I could, I could think of a couple of different ways to try to use that. Even if it's only UI specific, doesn't span across tabs. I could definitely find some uses for it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, one of these days when I get back to doing Salesforce development. You know, I, when, it's funny. When I look back at, at 2019, I mean, I did very little Salesforce development. Probably the least... In my, in the past 20 years. Really? Yep. You know, for the first part of the year was starting out that way because I was so focused on my new job at the time, which was really nose diving into architecture and doing less development, Yep. which I did not like. But um, yeah, I kind of felt that way too. Like I probably didn't develop as much. And then of course I got this other job and now I'm developing a lot, but it's not, it's not like me developing something. It's kind of, I don't know how to phrase it. I'm not building something. I'm trying to fix something. And yeah. It's a different type of work. Yeah, but it, has, I, it has a very different yeah. reward system from it. That's true. That's that's an interesting so distinction. You're still so you're, but you are still heads down into Salesforce code, right. and I'm just not. I mean, because I've well, just I'm done, not getting to explore new features. I'm, I mean, I, 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 I got my, my I, finger on the thumb, but I'm trying to fix whatever crap is there. You got your finger on your thumb. That that kind of sounds painful. I don't know. <laughs> your thumb on the pulse, maybe your. Um, my pulse on the thumb. Get your finger on the trigger. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what you what you were trying to say. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a lost cause. That's a lost cause. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I've just been doing so much just um, ser you know server stuff, like not um, server Which I'm side. Kind of jealous of like I, integration I like, system 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 uh, development. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm too focused, and I have been for the longest time too focused on the Salesforce stuff, and I really want to start branching off into the other stuff because I feel like I'm. I went from being a developer or what I would consider a developer. Now you're a full-fledged Salesforce developer now, John. And <laughs> I, I felt like, okay, I was a .NET developer. Give me a problem. I'll solve it with .NET. Let's go. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had access to other libraries, I had access to other components, I had access to, to different hosting platforms and everything. And now I'm in the Salesforce world. And I feel like that's the only way I can market myself. I've been doing this for so long. 
I, sure, I still still know C sharp and still I don't know it as well as I used to, which is why I don't feel confident in marketing myself as anything but a Salesforce developer right now. Yeah. Which sucks. Well, uh, you know, John, the thing is, though, it's not a bad time to be a Salesforce developer. I can tell you that because um, it's I, I, I try to hire Salesforce developers. Yeah, but it's a scary proposition because I've... I, I guess well, it, I know it, you're saying. So you're saying the way you look at it, you're still signed on with a platform. I was signed right. on with the Microsoft platform, right. being a .NET developer, and I I'm now I'm signed on as. But let's as a let's, let's be honest though. Like the Salesforce, uh, the the Microsoft development platform has a thousand times more reach than Salesforce does. I know Salesforce is big now, but it's not near as big as is Microsoft. And uh, the, yeah, the, I mean the number of like .NET developers still completely dwarfs the number of Salesforce developers. Yeah, but I mean, and so do the in, number of in, opportunities. In saying that, yeah, the number of opportunities, the the leverage I have as a Salesforce developer with my experience in in the marketplace. I mean, just and saying, you know, I I yeah, get this top dollar because of X Y Z. Sure, sure. I mean, just but if you you know just look at the the you know the Stack Overflow or the Red Monk surveys or the Tob thing. I mean, there there is there are orders of magnitude more demand for .NET developers now than uh, still than there are Salesforce developers. Um, so it's Again, if you, and not that you do, but if you did call yourself a .NET developer, that, that's not a bad thing. But I'm, what I'm telling you is that, you know, calling yourself a Salesforce developer is not a bad thing either. Because although there's not near as many opportunities as there are on the .NET world, in the Microsoft world, the supply and demand um, dynamics of the Salesforce world are beneficial for workers. They are. But I think um, we have this flip side of the argument with the low code stuff. Everyone's saying there's there's a shortage of developers, so we need low code solutions. We need we need to build all these tools that write code for you. Well, why are we, okay? So for I, I just got to. I know I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. This this gets me. This I don't understand. We're developing all this low code stuff. Everyone says it's the future. Oh yeah, the Mark Benioff and all these people. There's a lot of other ones that are touting all the low code stuff. Mm -hmm. But we're still trying to convince like the masses of kids to become coders. Coders. Why you're not going to have a job? Yeah. If you believe, I mean, well, that was my prediction like, last believe? year that no one was going to talk about the fourth industrial revolution. And, and also, just not just STEM in general. Okay, yeah, I mean, STEM, sure. Let's you know, and I'm the the thing with STEM in terms of if we want to change anything in terms of the the composition of the the labor pool or the educational situation, is I do I do still like the efforts to get um, people to, you know into STEM who just historically were not into it because they didn't think it was for them because of, you know, their background or who they were or whatever. Like, so I'm still all about like, hey, let's, let's, let's get more women into STEM. Let's, and, and we also have to make sure they pick college degrees that are STEM. Like, I can't help it if, you know, if we try to get people, you know, certain type of people into STEM and they just all, they continue to pick, you know, uh, uh, you know, English literature or some, some, you know, liberal arts degree or something. It's like, well, you, you have to pick, you, know, you have to pick the, I know they're harder, but you have to pick STEM degrees. Um, but no, but no, but the, but overall, like the macro situation of, of the get, like, let's get everyone in STEM. That's I'm not sure that's a great idea either, because uh, the last statistic I saw was about 12% of the jobs in the United States are STEM jobs. Uh, I wonder if it's just a, 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 just like any other marketing, it's a numbers game where you just blanket the market and say, hey, go do this, do this, do this. And you get like a fraction of, of the audience that you blasted with that marketing yeah, campaign. Yeah. And the thing is, like, you have to listen also, where is this coming from? And a large part of the, of the, 
some of the loudest voices here are big tech companies. Mm-hmm. And of course, they would love to flood the market with STEM uh, workers. Well, why would they want to do that, John? Why would they want to massively increase the supply of STEM workers? Because what the cost of ownership of their product goes down. What does it do to the cost? If, if, if there's a large supply of STEM workers, what does it, it do to the cost of those? Down. Exactly. So you have to take what they say with a, a, a iceberg of salt. Because they're, I mean, it, all, they're always going to say, we need more sale workers, we need higher H-1B limits, we need all these things, right? And it's just, well, of course, I mean, sure. Um, that's micro-optimizing for, you know, 10 big tech companies, essentially. Yeah, but I'm not concerned about them trying to bring their costs down. I mean, I think their costs are fairly fixed. They know they're going to have to pay for top talent for the certain things that they want to oh, do. Oh, but they are, no, they don't know that. They, they, no, they absolutely do. love what to change What they're trying that. to hedge against, and... and I would say this of Salesforce too, is the cost of ownership, the cost of having that product to say, I'm going to buy Salesforce and I'm going to build something custom on it. Well, that's going to cost me a $300,000 a year developer. Exactly. Yeah. Oh no, it's not. It's, we got so many developers. You can get one for $10 an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think those are two sides of the same coin though. Basically we're it's. Yeah. But I don't think the tech, I don't think Google, Apple, Microsoft, Salesforce are trying to mitigate their own cost of building things. I think they're trying to mitigate. You don't, the cost. You, you don't think they're doing both. I think they're trying to do both. <sighs> No. You, you think Salesforce wants to, you know, pay $150,000 for a starting engineer and, and $200,000 for an experienced one? Do you think they want to do that? Of I course they do. good don't. people. No, of course they don't. No, Come they on. want good, smart people, and they want, they want to minimize how many good, smart people they have. That's how they're going to manage their internal costs. So if they have, mm. they have a superstar Jeremy on their team, they don't need 10 other... This is a very strange argument coders. if you think that they're not trying to reduce their, their individual cost per employee. I'm not it's, saying that's it's, not a goal. It is on their radar. It's a major risk I don't think problem that's, I, for them. So I, no, I understand what you're okay. saying. But what I'm saying is I think that's the smallest part of the argument. I think for them, the bigger draw is there's, there's enough people out there to do what you need to do, and it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg to, to build on our product, to build on our platform. Right, that's right. The, bigger, yep. the bigger issue than it costs us. No yep. one has any sympathy for Salesforce having to spend X number of dollars on, on a person to build Einstein. Yeah. But they do care about what it's going to cost them to use Salesforce and to build on Salesforce. Okay. And, and just so our listeners know, I mean, John and I both have PhDs in economics. So yes. we know what we're talking about here, clearly. I just want to make that clear. Clear that we do not, right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I don't know if sarcasm know. I might have thrown a double negative in there. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, my next thing is, uh, apparently, Microsoft is winning the cloud wars. And this also will dovetail, John, into Sigma. our... Yeah, I guess our segue is probably better. Uh, into our conversation about the whole, uh, the, the latest rumor on the uh, sell, uh, Salesforce acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a, I think, originally maybe reported by, was it Forbes? Yeah. Okay. So Microsoft's winning the cloud war against Amazon, no less. I can't um, believe it. Now, this is interesting because this was a, a survey that, of course, um, who was it? Goldman Sachs. There, they do an IT spending survey, and no one writes Goldman Sachs checks, so you can totally believe this, you know, hundred percent. Sure. But uh, the top line is Microsoft is now the most popular cloud services supplier and is steadily gaining market share against major competitors like Amazon, according to a new survey from Goldman Sachs about the current state of a trend that is reshaping the technology industry. Now, if I told you Microsoft, John, Microsoft is the most popular cloud service supplier. What is, what is it, kind of the, your just gut initial interpretation of that? What does that mean? It's the biggest one. Well, the most popular. 
I would wow. say, of course. <laughs> but, I'm not, I'm but, not of, but of course, that's not what that means. I would <laughs> say, of course, it's so it's so misleading. Um, let's see. Amazon still leads cloud services in terms of overall revenue and spending, but Microsoft is still the most popular supplier. Well, what the hell does that mean? They never actually define what popular means. I don't know well, what that means. Is it is it is it like who who's you know is this like a homecoming thing uh, where you vote for like most popular or most likely to su succeed in one of those? I mean, what what is this? <laughs> I don't understand I mean, I can it. Tell you my opinion on on why the why that is the perception. That is because of Microsoft's longstanding stranglehold on corporate America. It is, yeah, yeah. You, they, you, they mean, have the you mean the long-standing trust relationships they have right. with their corporate clients, Joy? Right. Yeah. You need to speak the right language here, sir. <laughs> I mean, they essentially gave everyone who, who was managing their own Exchange server an out with Office 365. I said it right. Haven't yeah, had too much yet. You're, you're only one in so far. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that manages everything from Active Directory to their email system to licensing of their uh, Office products. And, and it's all one-stop shop for there. So that's an easy transition for a company to say, Hey, we've got to re-up our Office licenses and our Active Directory licenses and our Outlook out licenses. Oh, put it on Azure. We don't even have to run the service for it anymore. Right. Or just better yet, just buy the SaaS product. And that's right? just basic, normal, day-to-day -day business things that they need and use on a daily basis. I mean, companies are built on Excel. They're built on oh, Office yeah. products. Yep. So, I mean, that's an easy win. I mean, that's just, that lends to the perception of popularity and everything. The only people that are really, I think, really looking at Amazon and making that distinction are people that are building software and building tools and, and the IT guys in the back that have moved their, their on-premise system to, to the cloud. Yeah. I mean, those are the people. And those, those numbers are going to be smaller than, say, the general populace that is like, oh, I use Office 365 at work. I yeah. just go online and do it. Right. You know, and I, I, still, I still say that if you want the closest thing to pain-free uh, collaborative calendaring, the only way to do it is Office and Exchange. Yes. Everything else just sucks. And, I mean, any given solution isolated may work fairly well, but the interoperability is just, it's always a well, problem. Well, a lot of it is because of what Microsoft, how Microsoft screwed over the spec. They did. They, well, they probably made it intentionally vague, right? Well, course, they, they this was back in Microsoft's, you know, embrace, what was it? Embrace, extend, extinguish phase, <laughs> which we know lasted like 20 years. Um, yeah. But that's how they did things. And that's where the whole iCalendar spec, you know, that's where it came from. Well, most of our pain these days deals with trying to solve for how Microsoft handled something or did something or changed something. or And so we're constantly trying to battle that. So when it comes to just ease of use, it's almost like the... Is it a board mentality where you just kind of just go with the flow? You kind of just assimilate? You're just like, screw it. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I mean, there's certainly an advantage to it, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's dig into this a little bit more. Um, a large number of respondents said they currently use Microsoft's Azure software over that of AWS. And that lead has been increasing since this, since the December 2017 survey. Anyway, I'll at least skip down to this. There's the key background. This is interesting. So with cloud software proving to be a booming new trend in the tech space, that will lead to even more competition between big players, such as for the $10 billion Pentagon Jedi contract earlier this year, where Microsoft won out on the deal over Amazon. That was pretty, that was a nice win. <laughs> we got to say, yeah. that was huge. With Azure's popularity and growing momentum in the cloud services space, 
uh, some analysts predict that Microsoft and its CEO Satya Nadella will, quote, win the next stage of the cloud war, unquote, against Bezos and Amazon in 2020. I mean, I really think if you look at trajectories, and that's, I think that's mainly what this is about. Although, you know, this whole popular, popular thing, they never define what it is, which is super annoying because it allowed them to write an incredibly misleading headline. Microsoft is winning the cloud war against Amazon. That's the headline. Oh, dude, no, don't segue into that one because I've, I've got a rabbit that, hole. No, no, that's, the, that's the title of the... I know. I, I just have a, a rabbit hole of tech journalism that I wanted to get into. <laughs> but you would, you would think that, I mean, if you just read this and didn't mm -hmm. really know, you know, what the numbers were, you'd think, oh, you know, my, AWS or Microsoft must be bigger than, than AWS. But here's, here's, I think, a fairly recent statistic on market share. AWS has 47% market share. Azure is 16%. Wow. Now, I'm sure that's, I'm sure those are, those have converged over time. I mean, I think AWS used to be over 50% and Azure was, you know, single digits, right? And I think Google is actually still like 4% or something like that. And you're, you're saying the numbers reflect that AWS is more profitable? No, no, that, that's just market share. That's just market share? Yeah, so for every dollar spent on cloud computing, 47% of them go to AWS, 16% go to Microsoft. Mm. I do, but I definitely think, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, within, eh, let's say five years, maybe this is a bold prediction of mine. Since we didn't really do predictions this year because we're lazy. I thought we were going to um, do some this year. Maybe we will. So here's one right now. That within five years, of course, I don't know how we're going to remember to measure that. I, think, I do think AWS will catch, oh, sorry, Microsoft will catch at, uh, AWS, especially if they count things like Office 365, which they will. Yeah, they will. I would, I, I'd agree with that. I think it's sooner. I think within three years. Three years? Yeah. I think Microsoft's actually said 2023, so that gives us three years. They, they think they'll catch AWS. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't bet against that. I wouldn't either. And I don't, I, the, I think the, the big, <clears throat> the big hidden player here that's kind of, I think, been losing out is uh, Google. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're hanging on and they, they have some niche cloud services that are better than all the others. I think in terms of AI and some other things. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're hanging in there. And this, again, I guess we can transition to the Google Salesforce story because that's part of how they may want to, you know. It is, but at the same time, I just don't see how Salesforce represents the same competition as it doesn't. Azure it doesn't. And, and AWS. I mean, Salesforce, Salesforce runs on AWS. <laughs> you're, just buying, you're just buying a big AWS customer. It's an opportunity for Google to pay AWS a lot of money on an annual basis. And it kind of doesn't well, make sense in that well, regard. AWS. Let's see, they'd have to pay AWS. They'd have to pay Azure, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, they do because uh, CPQ, or is it not CPQ? Um, some new Marketing Cloud. Marketing Cloud's all Microsoft technology. Yeah, and, and what, what, what did they announce was running on Azure? There's a new, uh, they, I think they announced it at Dreamforce. Something's running on Azure. I forget what it is now. I don't know. There was, I mean, there was the whole... I. Uh, IOT. The Thundercloud, John. Thundercloud. <laughs> uh, and they, of course, they got to write that check to Oracle. Oh, yeah. So, all this money, man, it's just all in the... It's ridiculous. Like, talk about one percenters. Uh, I know. Oh, God. <laughs> one percent of one percent of one percent. I mean, they're just passing money back and forth with each other. It's... Uh, how do we get in that game? Yep. All right. Well, John, let's, let's talk about the Google could acquire Salesforce thing. What it, it, does that title or that idea? Let's just talk about the idea of it before we get into that. Does the idea scare you or excite you? Or are you neutral? Oh, uh, I think I'm kind of neutral. I mean, 
I don't think it would it make Salesforce any better of a company. I don't think so. Uh, would it make Google any better of a company? M maybe a little bit. I think Google's got the upside because what Google would gain is Microsoft's incredible Salesforce. I mean, their their sales people, their sales teams is what I mean by that. Sales space force. Yes, there's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and that's something that I think. Google could use at this point since they really are trying to break in. I mean, for the longest time, they were like, yeah, we're not going to do enterprise sales. We're not even going to have, we don't even answer the phone. You want to call us for, to buy something or support? Screw you. So, you know, submit, submit a case to the, or whatever, read our FAQ. You <laughs> know, that was it. Um, that's changed over the past 10 years slowly, you know, for their big AdWords accounts. I mean, the stuff more directly directed, uh, connected to the revenue. They, they have sales teams, they have better support, things like that. But they really, I mean, they could definitely benefit from uh, Salesforce's sales space force. Uh, Microsoft has a great Salesforce. I'm sure AWS does. Oracle does. Salesforce does. Google does not. So they would get, you know, all Salesforce's revenue, which is not bad. I mean, mm -hmm. what is it? Is it 20 billion yet? 15 billion, something like that? I mean, that's kind of a blip on the radar for as far as Google goes. It, it, would, it would hurt their profitability. That, that's where it would hurt them. It would, it would dilute them down. It, it hurts their bottom line to buy Salesforce. Yeah. Um, of course, when we say Google, we really mean Alphabet, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, unless, I, I would assume it would be Alphabet technically that would buy Salesforce yeah. and not one of their subsidiaries, but yeah. I, uh, I actually take a different spin on it because I think that's how you justify the numbers of buying Salesforce and, and acquiring the sales space force and and all that kind of stuff. But what I think, because you know how Salesforce has been um, talking about how they're trying to gain access to everyone's data and put it, make it part of the data mining operations. And I think there's some disclaimers or some things you have to accept or things like that to be a part of that program. Um, I wonder, and especially, and it, it piqued my interest, especially when you said Google kind of has a strong AI technology, is what if it's just to gain access to a lot of that data too? I mean, you have a lot of major customers, a lot of people's data oh, in the I system. didn't even think about that. That is, has such a huge implication. And talk about trust. And where does that trust go? Yeah. But I mean... That it, makes it, me it, think that Benioff would not want to sell to Google, actually. See, I don't know. I think, I think Benioff has been trying to lead... Not lead, but... Well, okay, I'm not going to say Benioff. I'm trying to... Let me get back to Salesforce. I think Salesforce has been trying to find a way to unlock access to all that data that they have that they can't technically... Monetize. Put monetize. But they don't own as, it. That's the thing. They don't own that data. They're not trying to own it, but what they're trying to do is is make it part of the algorithms, the the Einstein algorithm, so that it can make the decisions it needs to make. Right now, it can't do that. It has to base it on your data set. Yeah. And if your crap data set's crap, hmm? it has no. That has nothing else to. The problem to is, usually your data set's just not big enough. Is the problem? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that. Yeah. By crap, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're starting from scratch, and you have one or two opportunities. What kind of inferences is it going to make? Right. Um, so to increase the value of Einstein, they really need to find a way to, in a trustworthy air quotes here, say, we need access to everyone's data so we can make it part of these algorithms and we can give you better recommendations. But I don't think Salesforce can use, you know, so one thing that you'll you see all the time, right, is like you agree to let your data be used in an aggregate mm -hmm. fashion, right. which I, I do. I, I actually allow, even though I'm, I'm fairly privacy conscious, for most services, I allow that because... I understand what they're trying to do with it. They're just trying to, they're trying to understand their product better, make it better and all those things. And, and if it's, unless it's something that's really personal or sensitive, I, I always, I usually allow it. Um, but I don't think, I don't think any of us have opted into that with Salesforce. I don't think Salesforce can 
it, use our aggregate data like that. No, we've talked about, I think we've talked about recent news or recent announcements or something where they're trying to allow that opt-in mechanism for that. No, uh, how would they do that? Go to everyone and get them to sign a new agreement? I think it's, I don't think it has to be a new agreement. I think it's a checkbox in the admin schools where you say, I, 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 I just don't think so, Salesforce John, because to allow our data to be used I mean, in the think, think of, think of the hurdles that Salesforce has overcome over the past 20 years in terms of trust of people. I mean, we're at the point now. I mean, I remember when, you know, the, the local used car dealership didn't trust Salesforce to put their crappy, crappy contacts, their crappy leads into Salesforce. Sure. Now we're at the point where I've got top like medical organizations and schools and all kinds of stuff putting their most sensitive data in Salesforce in the cloud. Do they have HIPAA? They have HIPAA compliance, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like an older standard they had. They've yeah. got all kinds of stuff. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, Salesforce has all kinds of um, compliance, you know, certifications. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get what you're saying. But the aggregate data is different. And especially if they're keeping it internal, meaning they're not technically giving you a feed of someone else's data. All they're doing is making that data available in aggregate to an algorithm that can then make it. I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't think, I think, that, I don't think they can do thing. that right now. I don't think that is available to Salesforce. I mean, if the data is cleansed enough and it has, well, I guess we got to define the, define what personal identification information is, which I guess we haven't now, even started with Here's that. Here's the really powerful part. You know, Salesforce, they, you know, they have all this marketing capability. They've bought, of course, you know, Exact Target and Radian, whatever it was, and Buddy and um, Crux or whatever, you know, all these, all these data, th all these marketing things are really about data and tracking people and super cookies and site to site tracking, which, you know, again, it's all kind of repulsive, but the Salesforce does this stuff and they help, especially if you're a bigger customer, you know, you, you get to do that with Salesforce and it ties into social networks and social media and it ties all your, you know, not only your web browsing activity, but all your social activity. It builds this profile of each individual customer. You know, they can, this is really powerful stuff. This is how Adidas can, you know, all these demos I show you. It's like, oh, that's really cool. They're like, oh, wait, that's really freaking scary that they can do that. Well, they can do that. And imagine if not, not still not ac accessing aggregate, but if Salesforce and Google combined, well, well there was an acquisition. Think of Google could, could come, I mean, they're, talk about tracking. They're mm -hmm. the ultimate trackers, right? Yeah. I mean, if you added their tracking capabilities and their data, their consumer data with Salesforce's, what that would offer to Salesforce customers. It would be a very if, if they could world, If they yeah. could actually architect and build and deliver a solution around that combined capability, then that is, that beats Oracle. That beats Adobe. That beats all these guys. Well, I mean, data this, is again, coming data. from someone who knows nothing about marketing, but it's got to, it's got to. Yeah. I mean, data is the new black gold, isn't it? It's, it's a new. Oh yeah. Resource. Yes. I mean, in terms of marketing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, how else would I buy the product that I just bought a week ago? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not sure it's reached, you know. Well, that's how they solve that. See, they, they, they gain access to your CPQ and everything else. And they see the order came into the system and. They know you've already bought it, so now they can recommend accessories for your new product instead of the product. That you I don't have. know. I get I get offered the same thing I just bought all the time. No, I know. I'm just saying. Or like once they a have similar model to the order data and they can see your invoice and see that you bought it already, then they can transition to, to marketing um, accessories. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if they can, if they can figure that out, I'm just, what I'm saying is like it doesn't seem like anyone's been able to figure that out yet very well. Well, because they haven't bought Salesforce yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is. <laughs> that's the that's the ticket, John. They don't have a closed one opportunity to bounce it off against. 
Uh, yeah, so I, mean, I don't know. I mean, the article makes a lot of speculation about numbers and clouds and kind of really muddies the water of cloud and trying to, in my thinking, I don't consider Salesforce a cloud. It's, it's, again, you know, let's, can we dispense with the word cloud? Because it's clearly meaningless. What we're talking about here is software as a service infrastructure as a service, platform as a service. To me, Salesforce is clearly like they're 90% software as a service. Yeah. And they're 10% like platform as a service. It's it's a it's a unique type of platform. It's not as it's a little bit of a higher level, more abstracted platform. And it's proprietary, but it's definitely a platform as a service. I mean, I someone, I think it was James Ward or someone tweeted the other day that, you know, Salesforce was doing serverless before serverless was a thing. And I, I thought, no, that can't be true. And I stopped and thought about it. How are they doing service? And I thought to myself, you know what? That's kind of correct. How is it because correct? Because you put your code on their thing and they ran it for you in a cloud without you having to rent a server of any sort. Well, you're renting your Salesforce license. No, no, no. But, but on everything else, you had to like, you know, you bought a server. You buy an EC2 instance. You write, you know, whatever. This, was the, this is true service. You don't even have to package it. It just, you just... Here, um, here's I could paste in some Ape, an Apex class into the browser and hit save, and now I've got my code running, my code running on this thing. It's totally serverless. That I mean, that is the definition of serverless, in a way, in an abstract way, in the no software kind of way, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I I just don't think Google ever buys Salesforce. You know why? Why? It's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. We've heard of, we've heard about this um, talent talent acquisition has is got to get proven that investors kind of what acquisition talent? No, not the talent. What am I trying to say? Tableau. Tableau. Gosh, <laughs> words in my head just don't connect. Um, I was reading some articles that, that were saying that you know this has to be a proving year for the for these acquisitions. Well, the only thing they were mean, I think the only thing they were waiting on was EU, right? And didn't that pass? I got through? no. It it did, okay. but I think what I think the what the investor community is saying is Salesforce made two major acquisitions last year, and if they want to continue to grow at the pace they they have been, they need to continue to make really big acquisitions. And if they don't prove that the MuleSoft and the Tableau acquisitions were good acquisitions, it doesn't set them up to make further bigger acquisitions. So they mm. have to prove that they've made the right decisions with these, and they're able to continue to make the right decisions in order to grow the company, even though. Benioff said they were going to slow down on acquisitions. I think it's turning out the way you said. Oh, they're going to, they they're did gonna, for a few months. They're going to pause for a few down, months, yeah. <laughs> and then they're going to start buying again. Yeah. No, I think I think we'll see some significant acquisitions in 2020. I mean, not, maybe not Tableau. What was Tableau? $16 billion? Maybe not at that level, but... Well, that one was an easy one because it was stock. We'll, 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 um, yeah, I think you're right. MuleSoft was the hard one because that was cash. It was more cash, yeah. Um, I, I will probably see, I, I would say, a sum total of $10 billion of acquisitions this year. Maybe more. It's mm, a big number. I would, say, I would say at least $10 billion. I mean, it's not for Mark Benioff. I mean, he's got that in his, well, between his, his, between his couch cushions. Not his money. <laughs> yeah. He controls it, though. <laughs> Until his investors tell him, mm, no, not going to do it. Last year seemed to be a year of a lot of shifting and shuffling of people, too. Do you think the... Uh... I guess we'll do some predictions. Do you think the trend of upper management kind of switching out will continue? It never stops. And then, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, been, I mean, at some point you've been in a company for a while, your stock is vested, like, eh, you just kind of want to move on, you know? Especially if you're, if you're, if you know you're not on the track that you're ever going to be like 
sitting at the table with Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might as well just, if you've been there a long time, we've seen it. I don't want to name any names, but we've seen plenty of people that have, you know, they, they definitely put their time in. They got, they got Salesforce famous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure made good money long enough for their stock options to invest or whatever has to happen. And, you know, they get another opportunity, just something different. It might not even be more, it might not even be more money. It's just, it's just something different. You know, at some point you got to move on, especially if you, if you value your, like the uh, the impact you think you're able to have and i'm sure you could stay at salesforce and you probably you know collect that paycheck it's great you know and but if you don't feel like you're it's salesforce is big enough it's probably hard to have i mean it's probably hard for the typical manager to have much what they would feel like is an impact yeah yeah i I agree with that i think a lot of these people were came in from acquisitions where they built something some of them yeah and they were very Mm -hmm. successful at that and then They've coasted. They've allowed things to vest, and I think they want to get back to creating something. Yeah, yep. And again, not that you can't do that at Salesforce. It's just it. Sometimes you just want to kind of you want harder. something fresh. The, the bigger yeah. the ship gets, the harder it gets to. And well, also, in, anytime you know, in an organization, it's it's so easy for you to be like typecast. Like everyone kind of sees you as, oh, you're the you're the woman that gets on stage at the Dreamforce or the Salesforce developer events or whatever. And it's like, it, that kind of becomes your thing. And that's what they just, they keep wanting you to do because you're good at that one thing. And you're like, yeah, I can do a lot more than this. Like, I want to create something. I just don't want to be like yeah. the figurehead that is never going to be, again, at the table with Einstein. I'm just going to, this is kind of my thing. They, they're happy with me doing this. And and again, nothing wrong with that. And, you know, maybe you'll get a promotion in a couple of years or whatever. It's not, it's not like you won't. It's just, I don't know. You just... Yeah. Kind of want to start over. Small company, have a big impact, maybe. Do something more risky. Salesforce isn't risky anymore. Some people want that. They have that need. Yeah, I might put myself in that camp. Mm. <laughs> I'm always willing to move on and take a risk. Um, sometimes the wrong ones, but... No, that's part of risk, right? Yeah. All right, can we talk about the state of tech journalism? Because I think it's just going to get worse. The state of tech journalism. Okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, so I want to talk about, uh, this is an article from Business Insider. And by the way, I pay for Business Insider Premium, which is $100 a year. Oh, um, do you really? You pay for that? Yeah. Do you still pay for the information? I had to stop. That was $30 a month. Was that? Oh my yeah. gosh. Was that any good? It was 30 It was not enough for the $30 a month. What about, um, what's Ben, what's his face's? Um, uh, ben, Ben something. What is this called? It's pretty good. Um, damn it, John. I don't know. <laughs> um. No, oh, I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, let me let me open this segment for us properly. Uh, Keep in mind, these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. Very true. <laughs> so anyway, Ben Thompson, uh, str- strate- strategery, strategery. What's it called? Strateg. <laughs> ben. Uh, he should he should pay us for an ad for this. Ben Thompson, stra- strategery. Yeah, uh, he's pretty good. He's. Um, He's famous for, most famous for this, uh, what is this? He has an aggregation theory is what it's called, which I actually don't fully believe that theory, but it's interesting nonetheless. But no, he, he writes really cool stuff. Hmm. And he actually puts a lot of it in front of his paywall, not behind it. Oh, So cool. yeah, strategery.com. Yeah, unlike Business Insider, puts everything behind a paywall. It's gotten bad. I've, it's I've, gotten I really think bad. Business Insider's well, dead to me now. And it's it's about to be. This is my last year with it. But um, not only is it bad because- But you won't be an insider it, anymore, John. I won't be. <laughs> um, but also, you still get a ton of ads. Even though you're signed in and everything. That's no good. And the button for subscribe never goes away, even though you're already subscribed. <laughs> that's some That's just that's just lazy. It, I don't know if, I don't know. <laughs> yes. I don't know if it's lazy or they just I don't get it. But um anyway, so the reason I want to talk about the state is because it's gotten really lazy. Yeah. They have nothing to say, but they well, wanna they wanna push yeah, content. That's that's down. one of the main themes of of our show, of these conversations that you and I and this community has. 
is about how lazy this tech journalism is. Yeah. It is really bad with a few shining um, counterexamples. Yep. So this is what my $100 a year um, gets me in terms of article quality. <laughs> now, the title is Salesforce billionaire Mark Bernioff was spotted front row at Ivanka Trump's controversial CES speech. Okay, something and they're going to they're going to get some responses from Bernioff. They're going to Now talk was about the, was the speech thought. actually controversial or was it just controversial because her last name's Trump? It, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. Okay. I mean, I'm just asking <laughs> was it actually a controversial speech? Did I okay. have, I only heard that she was there and I heard that it was a very popular event that they had and they actually had to stop people from going in because they had no more room. Yeah. Um, but he was front and center. Um, let's see. The article mentions that he was spotted front row at the event. Um, and then it, it doesn't say anything. All it's, it, yeah. it, 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 it essentially talks about how we don't know what side of the spec spectrum, <laughs> what side of the political side Benioff is of course are, a, are you kidding me he, he had the are famous words me? uh he's not a, a democrat or republican he's an american no but we in fact that was highlighted in this article I, but hang on a second i know we we have that let's see i thought i had that Benioff. let me go to my Benioff tab um john sing a song for us here we go i'm not a democrat or a republican i'm an american well, i'm an american he almost sounded a little drunk on that clip it sounds that way. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read um, this on, snippet. I, I, when I was polling our, when I was going through our episode from a year ago, trying to pull out our uh, predictions, mm -hmm. uh, I heard, I think it was me, that I had just read an article, this was a year ago, that, because um, Benioff used to give fairly evenly to like, you know, different sides of the political spectrum, sure. and he's just, he's gone to 100%, at least as of the time of this, because yeah, I guess you can, uh, there's some kind of website where you can go to see where big contributions are given mm -hmm. and he was 100 uh, percent democrat for an entire year which you know whatever i'm not i'm not saying that's good or bad or indifferent i'm just saying he can't continue to claim we can't continue to claim that we don't know what his politics are he's pretty clear what his politics are for the most part well i don't think it's claiming that he doesn't know what his politics are i think it's claiming that he doesn't side with one or the other i think it's trying i think it's trying to paint yeah. the picture as being off being this more middle of the ground there, there's the any... words that come out of his mouth and there's the checks he writes and they're two different things right now well, according, that, that's what he's saying to this snippet it says that he no longer contributes to political campaigns which it, it, i think he does in different ways but i do remember him having a pact at some point who was it who was at dreamforce this year political wise uh, obama okay who was at dreamforce last year political wise it wasn't oh, was it hillary clinton michelle obama they've yeah. both been there i mean yeah. come on man i mean whatever well he had colin powell who at the time was uh, no, he was, at the time, he was crapping on Republicans. That's true. He just finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just uh, And unlike Benioff, I truly am not a Democrat or Republican. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You're Jeremy. That gives me some kind of credibility, right? No, it doesn't. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read this article because I think it, it's just insane. While it's impossible to gauge Benioff's political allegiance, sorry, it is worth worth pointing out that the ceo is a noted hat aficionado hat okay often I, donning I a fedora for public appearances and it shows a picture here he is with former president bill clinton and his cool little hat beyond his hats benioff is also known for his flashy sneakers that's true I, yeah that's, I, that's I the like end of this damn article that i spend a hundred dollars a year <laughs> <Yeah>. on <No. laughs> god damn it this is what i get this is the insider news i get uh, yes. from the tech industry yeah i mean think about if you didn't get this valuable information john where would you be how could you even function i yeah yeah who knows 
I, what I got from this is I need to come up with a quirky, uh, like uh, Steve Jobs had his tur- his turtleneck. Uh, Benioff has his uh, crazy shoes it's and his hats. Christian Louboutin or whatever the hell they are. Christian Louboutin. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. You've got crazy socks. I can't. I mean, I kind of like. Yes, I have such crazy socks. What are these? Oh, these you've are got white, on. white Puma socks. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten I've gotten more basic. Although I do I do have a giant drawer of crazy socks. I am starting to wear this hoodie out. Maybe that's my gonna be thing. Gray hoodie guy. Hmm. It'd be the gray hoodie guy. Well, John, should we get to our uh, predictions, predictions or lack thereof? Yeah, let's do predictions. All right. Um, I, like I said, mine are pretty negative. I don't know why. Let's let's start with reviewing our previous year's predictions, Ooh. which we did not do a very good job of. In fact, I was only able to pull like... We're not doing a good job this year either. I don't know, four or five, I guess. All right. Um, hopefully this plays right. Uh, the fourth industrial revolution is a done deal. We're not going to hear it's about it. It's a dud. We're not going to hear about it. We're not going to hear about that. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. Okay, let's let it play out. Hear about it. No. We, so may, this, we might this... hear it mentioned here and there. <laughs> But it won't be like, this is going to happen. We have to prepare for it. Start saving your money, getting Bitcoin, whatever, because your job is gone. We're not, it's not. So in the the fawning CNBC interview, right, where Benioff went to the Galapagos and all that and talked about it. (laughs) um, He still talked about, they still mentioned the fourth industrial revolution. Nothing. Not going to be a thing. Not going to happen. No. I mean, I mean, I think you jumped the shark. We're in the transition period of it. And, you know, we still got to talk about it. But have you read Klaus Schwab's book about Benioff's friend? No. Benioff's best friend? No. No. Not going to happen. Okay. Nothing. Right. Well, so what did they replace? Well, because they jumped ahead to the fifth industrial revolution, which I forgot what that No, no, they replaced about. it with something else. There's, it's not an industrial revolution more. It's something else. Uh, no, I know. Okay. It, they went from the fourth, and then they jumped to the fifth because the fifth had to happen before the fourth would happen. And I forgot what the fifth was. Um, something about, I don't know, something. And then it became this whole new thing that had nothing. I don't remember what it was, though. But yeah, you're right. It's on to something else now. All right. <clears throat> Number two. I think this. I think lightning web components, even though I haven't even looked at it yet, is going to be big because. Stop it right there. I feel like I was right on that one. Not that that was a bold prediction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's it's the undisputed, you know, replacement for Aura. By a lot, you know, without question. Better technology, right? <laughs> I mean, I I think it is. I don't I know. Think... We've got a little bit of dissent here. I, I a sense in your voice, John. Yeah, it's because <laughs> I'm, it's it's so easy. The one percent thing is such it's such an easy thing. It rolls off the tongue. There, there's one percent of the devs that because you're fully. It's because you're very woke, John. That you're so woke. Fully, yeah, because they have fully have been able to transition to lightning web components. But I think there's a ton of people that are still trying to get out of Visual Force, and 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 even a, a more so that have put a ton of investment. Because you remember when Lightning came out. What a huge investment it was to transition everything off Visual Force and into Lightning. Yep. Those things are stuck on Aura. There's no way a company's going to go, oh, they moved their T's again. I think, they're still stuck on, I think they're still stuck on Visual Force, honestly. I think there's a lot of hybrid technologies, and that's why we're seeing a lot more of these kind of messaging services and these things that play nice with Visual Force because, yep. yes, there was so much investment in Visual Force. Companies that said, okay, we'll bite the bullet on Lightning. That's where everything's going. Let's go, go, go. And then Salesforce says, oh, we've got web components now. And they're like, <laughs> yep. Well, and, and, you know, one thing's for sure is that I, I do think, you know, classic is, will, will go away. I think, I, I think I would guess that I don't, I haven't seen a classic org in a long time now, actually. I don't know when that tipping point happened, but, but I still oh, see. Oh, no, you're going to see it because you can't do mobile. 
what I still see all the time, and I think we'll continue to see for the indeterminable future, is visual force. We're still going to have visual force. Yeah. Because upgrading from classic to lightning is one thing. Can be hard for a lot of orgs, but it's doable. Taking a lot of this visual force, which is not just visual force. I mean, dude, I've created like... Remember I created a, a artisanal, small batch, handcrafted, like high-speed, keyboard-driven, like data entry thing. That was just... And this was 10 years ago. I mean, this was before the Angular, React... Uh, view boom. This was mm-hmm. this is before probably even before like Backbone maybe before that generation of JavaScript apps or platform. What are they called? Frameworks, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And this organization, I actually I think there are several organizations that use this thing on a daily basis, and it's 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 bootstrapped up by Visual Force. It still depends on Visual Force to a significant degree. That you're going to have to pry that from their cold dead hands. And it's going to be nasty if that, if that day ever comes. Because there's such an investment in that. And, and just to say, oh, well, you have to rewrite that Greenfield or whatever. Um, and just to maintain parity of what you already have, you have to, re, you have to rebuy that whole thing. What if I just said, you know, this, this house that you almost finished remodeling, what if you just said, oh, I'm taking that to, down to zero. You owe nothing. Now you got to rebuy the whole thing. I was like, what? Huh? And what yeah. they, you just got the same house you already had. I mean, it's just, I don't know. That's so, you know, I, th- I think the, they're going to continue to enhance visual force in, within Lightning experience. They're going to find ways to keep, to keep pulling it along because we're not going to cut that thing loose anytime soon. Yeah. All right. Um, should I even let that play out? It, <laughs> I can tell you it needs to be done. Yeah. <laughs> if they're, if they're going to be compatible. God, I'm such a cocky smartass, aren't I? I hate listening to myself. This well, is, web this components is, is a better technology. It's just when Salesforce decided they were going to do the next best thing of to Visual Force, and they created the whole OR framework. And I mean, web components is the better technology. Sure. I'm okay. I don't know. <laughs> you know, because the current Lightning is like it's like it's like the Visual Force of of um, of uh, single page applications. I don't want, I, we're fine. I, I don't want, there's like a two minutes left on that. I don't want, I don't want to hear the rest of myself talk. No, that's fine. You don't want to hear it. That's fine. I, I don't think the, the conversion to lightning is going to be as big a deal. I, I, I know people are concerned about the fact that it, it's going to be lightning first in October. So everyone will be on lightning by October by default. Like even if you're on classic right now, you're just going to switch over to lightning. I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Okay. And last one from, uh, last year. So our last prediction was that Benioff was going to move the chairman role. I think that might happen still this year. Oh, wow. Mm. I think I think him kind of doing the co, one foot, the kind of co-CEO thing was a way to ease the investors, yeah, a right. way to say, I'm still here. Right. And then as the com- company continues yeah. to grow and show growth. Those, under, nine, those nine guys said, no, you can't, you can't send up CEO yet. You can do under Keith's leadership, yeah. it's kind of a way to say, look, everything's fine. Keith's, Keith's got this. You don't need you me. Doing? You don't You don't need me right here. Let me, let me chairman and let me focus on my other stuff. Yeah. I think I think if if not in the middle of the year or the end of their actual fiscal fiscal year, we might see something along those lines leading to that. Mm, so I think that one was, that was ended up not being. I gave myself an out because I said it could be leading that way, and I do think we're still leading that way. Look at the but, types of discussions uh, you, he's been having you, you lately. Could, okay, but let me just pause you for a second. You can okay. you can say that we're still leading that way, but nothing has really happened. There's really been not much movement in the past year on that. 
I mean, it's so I'm going to have to give you so, so far, so far, you're not right. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to claim I'm right. Yeah. I'm, I'll say I'm okay. wrong. Right. But I do want to say that I still think that's a possibility. If you look at the type of conversations he's been having at Dreamforce, he's he's his role hasn't been to talk about Salesforce a lot. It's been to talk about all his little pet projects and all his little things. He's getting more attention for his his social activism. Um, he's he's not doing a lot of Salesforce stuff. Um, and even on the investor calls, I'm seeing more and more other people getting involved in doing the spiel than him. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. They're. I I can't disagree with you that he is. Uh, Salesforce is clearly lessening their because that was that was part of the concern and and really where it matters the most is the concern amongst the investor community that that Salesforce is too dependent on Mark Benioff as a personality. Well, he's still the and strongest I, I, personality I, I, they have. I bet you there. No, no, but he's definitely. Um. Lowered his. I don't know. It's not lowered his stature. He has elevated others to be on the same level as as him, so that, that it's just not as dependent. I mean, he was he is not like the first or even primary person to speak on the stages at Dreamforce anymore. Right. I really noticed that this year, maybe because yeah. I was there, but it was a lot of Keith Block. Yeah, I just think he has other interests in other areas, and I think that's where he wants yeah. to be. I, I, again. There's, he's got there's Time part Magazine, of me, he's got to revive. Um, he's got. Uh, he's not going to revive it. He just he just writes the check. And it's not. It's never going to be revived. It's never going to make know. money. I think. Eh, it's just, it's, anyway, well, that's. I, I, I don't want to go to that. Him, that's a rat hole. To him and to his to the things he's been talking about, having an outlet in media is important. He has. To him. N he says he has. N it is not an outlet. He has no editorial control whatsoever. He just writes the check because he wants to see it remain a sure an institution. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> But I still think that the main reason we've seen them take these steps, have a co-CEO um, reduce Mark's presence, is, is not necessarily because that's Mark, what's, what Mark wants. It may be. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying we don't know that for sure. We don't. I mean, that's I, what this is all about. I think a big part of it is the board of directors and, then, and the key investors saying, we feel like Salesforce is too dependent on you. And if you take away the Mark Benioff, what do you have left? And that's, you have a big old hole in Salesforce at that point. I think Benioff... I think Benioff wants to reduce his role, and the board was afraid to let him reduce his role, and that's why this co-CEO no, no, thing came about. I don't think so. I, that's what I think. No, no. If you, were, if you were a major investor in Salesforce three years ago, your biggest concern is, what the hell, what if, what if Mark Benioff gets hit by a bus? That's your biggest concern. And now we have a little bit of a better answer to that than we had three years ago. Sure. Okay. Uh, I, I, we, I think it's if mutual. If we agree on that, that's fine. I, I'd say it's mutual. I don't disagree. I can't, like I said, that's why I said I, I can't argue against either side. I just, I'm not... I think I would I would say for sure though it's um, investors are are happier that they've got uh, some risk mitigation in place. Sure. Anything like that? Uh, was that a ten point word there, John? <laughs> Term, whatever. <laughs> some MBA. Okay. Um, well, so we have uh, so that was last year's predictions. I also have the previous years, which are more interesting. 2018. So I don't know if you want to do this. Let's let's do our current year prediction, and then people who are the three people who are still listening. If they want to, they can stay on to listen to 2018 predictions because those were more interesting. Um, well, this year's not going to be that interesting. <clears throat> uh, maybe not. You may, you may start? Yeah, we'll do one-offs, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is funny. I wrote this before any of the news or we had this agenda today, but Microsoft will take significant market share from AWS. <laughs> Can't make this up. Okay, your turn. Uh, my first one is um, 
I'm trying to grow a beard. I told you about that. Yeah. And my prediction was. But when did you start? Like this morning? Uh, I lost. <laughs> yeah. When did you shave? Like yesterday? <laughs> I shaved this weekend. Yeah. I actually yeah. had a, a fuller beard the week before, and then I had to go somewhere, and so I shaved it. But I was like, I'm going to freaking grow a beard. Yeah, I think you should. You so. look like you would grow a good beard. I think so. Yeah. Everyone's against it. So, but I, and that's why I haven't. I'm for it. Past. So don't say that. Well, you every, cannot say everyone's against okay. it because I am for it. Everyone in my, everyone in my family is against it. No. You're not part of my family. So. <laughs> Extended family. I can say that. <laughs> so my, my prediction is I'm going to shave it after three weeks. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. So, I hope not. I hope I grow to love it and I'm, I, I like it, but um, I have a really solid feeling that I'm going to get tired of it and shave it. That's a profound prediction, John. Okay. My next one. Uh, it's 5G. So I think that 5G is only going to, still in 2020, it's only going to be kind of real. Oh, I have, I have it in here. It's further down that 5G was going to be a big deal this year. I mean, oh, they're trying to make it a big deal. No, I know they're trying to make it a big deal, but I think it, it is going to be a big deal because I think having faster cellular, broad, cellular broadband fixes the problem of all these places that don't have access to good um, internet. So that... And that's going to open up the market for more online services so for people to be more dependent on these, on these things. That is, the, that is what the story I've always heard about 5G, and that's what, to me, has been most exciting about 5G, is you're no longer stuck, like, you know, this whole thing, like, you could pick your cable provider or your phone provider for internet, and that's it. Yeah. And that's if you're lucky, you have two good options. Right. Now you've got five different companies sending signals through the air that can, that can get you, you know, terabyte per second services or sorry gigabyte per second services right and a lot of them will rent towers from each right. other so except when you look at what these carriers uh, are rolling out in fact I've, I've got a good friend who is a like rf engineer and part of the rollout of 5g and a lot of these towers uh, locally he concentrates locally and i asked him about this i'm like oh so what, can i get can i now go sign up you know as for home internet service through i won't say his name of his company but through your company you know this he's like oh no we, we're not doing that we don't have that. No one has that. No one has that. There's no, no like, what? there's no use 5G to get home internet access. But that was the big story about it, right? I think that was the media trying to paint this picture that I don't think they understand. That's the media who doesn't understand technology saying that. Uh, could be. I mean, I've be. got 4G in my car, in my phone, in my iPad, in everything. And all I have to do is hotspot it, and I've got my computer connected yeah, to it. And it as long as I've got a decent signal, I can get hundreds of megabits per second on my phone. Yeah. I mean, a, a high-quality movie screen only needs, like, what, four or maybe eight megabits per second, especially with uh, MPEG-5 or whatever the hell it's called, HEVC, and whatever's after that. I mean, these the compression algorithms have gotten so good that you can have, like, really high-quality high um you know high action scenes that look good on a 70 inch tv with a five megabit per second string five megabits yeah i can get 300 megabits on my phone what's the point the point is that you're and you're what's still... the what's the point of five if i can get that with 4g what's the point of 5g if i can't use it for my home internet well the the i think the main problem is just the amount of usage is the bandwidth is you're still the the cost of your cellular whatever once you hit a gig or two gig and you start paying more that's what that's going to be that's going to be the impact yeah but i think for most people who don't have access to even reliable internet um or maybe no internet maybe they have to rely on satellite dishes and things i think this will help them oh for sure and like my mom just moved to a place in the middle of florida where they're 
there's no internet. So she had to get the, one of the satellite things. And so this might be great for them. If, if, if someone can just put a big old tower and like beam it out to everyone in a five mile radius or whatever. The problem with 5G though is that, you know, it's, it doesn't go very far and it doesn't go through buildings. It's like, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not sold on 5G. Towers are, in my opinion, I think towers are, are a much, are more, more accessible than trenching to dr to drag a line into some of these places. For a lot of areas. So yes. a lot of these yep. areas, mm -hmm. it, it's going to be much more feasible for them to get access to a tower than it is to get a trench drug. Because yep. it turns out it's difficult to bury long runs of wires in swamps. Yeah. Alligators eat them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, alligators eat the people trying to dig the trench. That, and that's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, related. Next iPhone will have 5G. So this fall's iPhone will have 5G. Um... No. Okay. <laughs> it took them a while to get 4G, didn't it? It did. And you know what? I mean, remember um, the, the first iPhone didn't even, was it, it was Edge, right? Didn't even have yeah. um, 3G. Because the, the next iPhone but was they called... they have more competition now. So, but they always prioritize their battery life. And I don't, I don't think there's enough 5G available for them to make that investment and sacrifice battery life. Because 5G requires more battery? I think, but don't you have to have like both? Probably uh, so. Chips in oh, the I, I bet you do. Yeah. Well, there will be a single chip that supports like everything, yeah. and uh, they'll try to they'll figure out a way to do it on the uh, make a single radio that supports all the things. Yeah, I just think it's I think not right now. I think maybe the, the next next year. Just like if you're in a crappy area, man, my phone I've seen it go back down to edge. I'll get the little square E. Yeah, or the E and in, in, the E inside the block. You know, the edge yeah. logo. Like, wow, I haven't seen that in like seven years. <laughs> Isn't it funny <laughs> to think back when? The phones used to match the, the oh the version, network, the yeah, version yeah, the yeah. Well, you had it, the, the version for the phone. You're thinking, and they they had to they had to advertise. This is not 4G. This well, what's funny a, was was there an iPhone two? Yeah, no, no, I think it was iPhone, and then it was iPhone 3G. The yeah, second iPhone was called was. 3G, yeah. and then the third iPhone was called iPhone four. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so there for a time, the version of the iPhone was synced up to the yeah. the cellular technology. Well, they learned their lesson on that one. Yeah. D it's called uh, Avoid Overcoupling, John. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Was it uh, decoupling and... Didn't you, didn't you do a talk on this or something? Like, was it like decoupling and something else? Yeah, or, or, uh, called. I don't think it was that great of a topic. I think I completely butchered what I really wanted to say, and that was because I worked too it was much. Co coupling and cohesion. Is yeah. What, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I really did not do a good job on that presentation. Yeah. I'm sorry for anybody who saw it because... <laughs> I I was overworked. I, I had driven all night. So even what I had prepared just wasn't well enough rehearsed. And even if it was, I was so tired. Is this the one where you didn't have a voice? Or was this after that? This was this was my this was after that. Okay. And uh this is the one where I worked all night, drove all night, and then had like a couple hours and no food. Oh my gosh. Just, this does yeah. not sound good. Okay. Did you you want me to go again? You go Oh that's right. You went twice in a row. I don't think I did. Maybe I did. You did because okay. we started talking. All right, go. Um, <laughs> Despite what I said last year, where I, th where I thought Apex was going away, I'm going to make my prediction that a Apex is still going to be the most dominant oh language on this platform. My prediction is I'm going to be saddled with Apex for the next for the rest of my life. The more I think about it, and the more so, my next one. Well, I won't get into my next one. I'm not going to say anything to my next one. Okay, uh, my next one. We're gonna we're gonna continue to have uh, be just inundated with too many, certainly more, but too many t TV streaming services, video streaming services. And as a part of that, I've, this is a multifaceted 
uh, prediction. Second facet is cord cutting this year will face an existential crisis. Everyone is, this is the year where everyone's going to realize that, oh shit, my direct TV was actually a pretty damn good deal, but compared to all this crap I have to buy. Yeah. And every single one of those services, you got to switch to a different app on your Roku or whatever it is. It's got a different guide system, a different recording system, a different fast forwarding and skipping system. It's, everything's different. It makes it hard to find anything and you end up paying more money. So this is the year of the existential crisis for cord cutting. Have you heard of this new one, Quibi? Mm-mm. Yeah, look at Quibi. It's big. They have like a billion dollars or some number of billion dollars in uh, uh, funding. Let's see. And they've been in the news recently, too. I just was been hearing more about it. Okay, it's an upcoming American short-form mobile video platform headquartered in L.A. Oh, it's founded by Katzenberg. Hmm. Of, uh, what is their, um, SK, no, SKG, what's their... Spielberg, Casper, Geffen, SKG, SGK, one of those. Um, Quibi, Quibi. Let's see. Quibi versus the world is an article. That sounds, oh, that was four hours ago. Uh, Katzenberg insists that his new video streaming service, Quibi, isn't competing against Netflix, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, or any of the other streaming services. Peacock, another new one coming up. Mm. Uh, that you've launched or are launching soon. You've got it all wrong. You're not even asking the right questions. You are a complete dummy. Just give me your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't disagree. I think we are going to get way too many streaming services that we're going to know what to do with, and everyone's going to sign up for them all. Um, I do think, I think, I think cord cutting will be an issue. Um, I don't, I I don't want to say it's an issue because I'm, I'm this close to, to getting that cord cut. Oh, I'm too. My wife has already given up on DVRs because she knows it's on online Mm -hmm. somewhere and Mm -hmm. she can get it. She doesn't care about the commercials anymore. So, um, that's a plus. Um, however, I did this month cancel my Disney Plus subscription because uh, uh, wow. The Mandalorian's over. That's the only, only reason you had it? They have a ton of content. And Apple, I looked at it, and there's nothing on there I want to watch. On so, Apple's? On Apple Plus, so I don't want to subscribe to that one. Um, I still have free, Netflix. Though. Buy some AirPods, you get a free. <laughs> honestly, I could do without Netflix. See, I can't. There's too many good shows on Netflix I watch. I originally I stuff. don't, but... Uh, no. <sighs> And there's other services that I want. I, I, I want. So what do you have? What do you have? What do you have left? You have net. You still have Netflix, although you're not crazy about it. Still have Netflix. Um, I had Hulu, but I canceled. But you still have that. cable, right? I still have I your canceled cable. Canceled Hulu. Okay, you canceled Hulu. I canceled Disney Plus. I still have my cable provider. Um, I have a two anime streaming services I pay for, and so you have to have two anime services. <laughs> you you don't want oh to have Netflix. You can't. You, you the world can't, of can't anime. Pay for Netflix, but anime. <laughs> the world of anime is is crap. It really is. There's it, it like so Hulu, Netflix, they all compete for um it's a title. <laughs> they all compete for these these uh these shows and so they have exclusives on each one. So just like it, just yeah, like the yeah. gaming industry where you have exclusives and you feel like you have to have both the Xbox and the PlayStation because there's going to be exclusives of something that you want um and they'll even buy it out from you. So you'll be watching your favorite show on one platform and all of a sudden next season it got sold to another platform. So now you got to go buy that other platform. Yep. The same thing's yep. going to happen on TV. Watch me. What's the same like, thing's going to happen. You have to read the reports of like what is coming and what's leaving Netflix. Yeah. Because it happens all the time. Like they, these contracts come and go. I mean, this, yeah, the contracts for content. This is, it's so weird because it's the content providers that really hold the cards nowadays. Yeah. The content owners. I mean, I think it's a good thing that we have choice. And as long as, as long as we're not locked into contracts, I think I'm okay. I'm okay with paying, like what I had Disney Plus for 
three or four months. I think maybe I spent 30, 30 bucks on that instead of, and that saves me a whole year of Disney plus. I mean, I, just, I really, I mean, what ever happened to a la carte? I'd, I'd love that. Like, I mean, this, I feel like I just, you know, you sign up with accounts for Disney plus and Hulu and Netflix and YouTube TV and all these things or whatever they are and HBO max and all these things or HBO go or whatever. I don't know what it is. Um, and just charge me for the number that like on an hourly rate. You just reinvented the cable. No, I didn't. Writer. No, cable yes, you is did. cable is your pre-purchasing access to everything. Yes, and that's what's going to happen. No, I'm, I'm saying if I don't, I'm t- what I'm talking about is a model where if you don't watch anything, you don't pay any bill. You don't, you get zero. Then there's no way to maintain the network. There's no way to to to. There's no the sure is money. To sure is because it'll be all a cart, and you you pay for what you actually watch. And people still watch tons of TV. They're just going to actually pay for what they watch, and they won't I pay really for what think they don't. You're watch. Just describing a reinvention of the cable system. I don't see how you don't see those, how different those th- two things They're are. They're not. You're, okay. you're basically saying that, okay, now I'm going to pay for a la carte for what I want. And then, and then that service, said service is going to say, okay, this package has most of what you want. Why don't you buy this package? Because it's only 70 bucks a month. If you did it a la carte, you'd be paying a hundred bucks a month. Which one are you going to pick? I know, now I wonder, you're back in the same situation. I wonder like, you know, when you go to the bowling alley and they say, oh, it's, um, oh, you're here to bowl. Okay. We haven't seen you in six months, Mr. Ross, so we haven't charged anything, but you're here to bowl today, so it's going to be $25 an hour for the lane. That's what I want. I don't think you're going to get that. I, I'm not going to get it. I I, think you're I, get I, it. Oh, I know I'm not going to get it. I'm just saying that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> because then if I get a, a hair in a weird place in my body to watch uh, some HBO show, I can just click right over to HBO and watch it, and they'll I'll get a, you know, a, a $7.50 bill at the end of the month from HBO because I watch a season of some show they have. Yeah, That's what I want. It seems the most fair. It seems the most fair to consumers, and it also is the most fair. It rewards specifically rewards not only the right content providers, but the exact content they're providing. Well, I mean, I, I I don't disagree with that, but I think what you're essentially talking about is buying season passes for content. No, it's not a season pass because it, it's, if, just, it's like that's that. still because saying, that's, that's still a subscription. I'm talking about like when I go to the when you walk into a convenience store and you buy a bag of. Cheetos, and so you, get, you go get a so coke. If you watch ten minutes of your favorite show. You get charged ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you go to the convenience store, you grab a bag of Cheetos and a and a, and a coke. You get charged for that bag of Cheetos and that bottle of coke, and you're good. To get, you you walk out. You don't so what get, happens? You when don't get charged twenty thirty dollars. You don't get charged like thirty dollars a month in case you ever want to walk in that convenience store. But it's only, different. I mean, you only get charged for what you grab and walk out with. Yeah, it's just a different model. Well, it is a different model, but that's a more expensive model. Uh, I mean, imagine falling asleep on your couch, binge watching, and all of a sudden you know you got a bill for three thousand dollars because your TV was on all. And night. you know they would have that as soon as you finish one episode, it immediately rolls to the next one, and you <laughs> yes. can't turn that off. <laughs> okay, uh, my last um, that I can think of in the fifteen minutes before we started recording, my last prediction, and this is like this is I swear this is like a two thousand eighteen prediction. Maybe it's not, but I've been thinking, but I've, this has been on my mind because I've been learning uh, Kubernetes and playing around with Kubernetes. Um, but microservice applications, whoever, and I've never built a microservice. I mean, I built microservices, I guess what you could call microservices, but I've never built like a big application that was composed of nothing but lots of microservices. I've never done that. But mainly because the truth about it, what people are, some people are learning, I think, or maybe we're all learning, is that that particular type of architecture is good for really like the biggest companies and teams. If your application is made up of multiple teams of multiple people, like lots of teams of three to six people each, and with totaling over like a hundred people, to, it takes to build your application. Microservice may be a good architecture for you. 
But sure. so many people, you know, who are like one to three person teams, um, one to three person applications jumped on this microservice and tried to split, you know, either Greenfield or, well, we're going to create our next app out of microservices or they're going to split up our, you know, our Java app into microservices. I mean, it's just, there's, I think they're, we're totally reeling back from that. And we're going to see a lot of microservices applications that shouldn't have been microservice applications re-architected as, as, as I know it's, it sounds horrible, but because people, I think unfairly the term like a monolithic application has gotten a bad name because it reminds people of like AS 400s or something like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that sounds so negative, but monolithic applications can still be really well architected and you can still have great, uh, um, you know, properties you'd want, you know, low coupling and independence of the components and things like that. And, uh, good interfaces and boundaries between things. So that if you, you know, to the, to whatever degree you do have different people and teams working on things, um, they're not stepping all of these to each other's toes constantly, constantly creating bugs and things. You can do that really well. And if you have like less than a hundred people on your on working on an app, that's probably the, the way to go. And so I think we're just going to have uh, the re the return to the monolith for lots of applications. I'd agree with that. I mean, I think I think my perspective on at least from what I understand of Microsoft, I'm not an expert, never done it. Um, is it just creates an unnecessary complexity because now you have that aspect of yes. connectivity and communication. I mean, you still have a contract between the two. And so whether you're talking about modular within a monolithic or modular within these microservices, I think it's just one level of complexity that is unnecessary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because it is more, it's more complex and there's talking about, I mean, there's a lot more moving pieces. Things are way more decoupled. I mean, so decoupled that it, it creates a little bit of a problem. Unless the advantage you're getting, what's it, Conway's law? You know Conway's law? Let's see. Uh, let me make sure I'm, is that the right law? Yes. Conway's law is an adage stating that organizations design systems that mirror their own communication structure. So again, if you have a, a team of, or like I say, if your application is made up of, you know, a dozen teams of like five or five to ten people each, then... Maybe you should create, maybe your application, if you have a big application, should be a microservice that, that models that community, that, I mean, because they talk, they, they call it a communication structure, but it's really, that's the same thing as an org structure. Yeah. And, but if you don't have that, if that's not the way your team operates, then you don't need that much independence between the different parts of your application. Yeah. And, and you're paying the price for it, but you're not getting the benefit of it. Well, you are, because now you have to have all these different monitoring tools and different external totally. logging systems totally. to be able to tie everything back together. Yep. Um, which MuleSoft gives you, by the way. <laughs> so, I do that. Anyway. Uh, so, mine, and this is my clickbaity title prediction. <laughs> I'll explain what I mean by that. But Evergreen will be vaporware in 2020. Mm. Um, didn't they say it was, it'll be available sometime this year? Mm, that's what I hear. Yeah. It's not even in the release notes. Yeah. And yet it's touted in the article as being available spring 20, but the only way you can even access or get information on it is by signing up with the, for that newsletter thing, that lead gen. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so you, instead of getting 152 emails, every time Salesforce does something, you can get 153 emails because <laughs> you've filled out yet another lead gen form. I just I don't think they've done a good job of explaining who the target audience is for this. I think it's just a piece of tech that they say they're going to have available, and it creates this news for them. I don't. I think you're my I personal think it has opinion. Some very specific there use are, cases there are, that most Salesforce uh, users will not take advantage of, I don't, or I want to take advantage of. You're basically. We can't even get customers to sign up and and 
put their code on Heroku and integrate with Salesforce. They won't, that's the point. That's the beauty of this. They won't have to. My, if, if they do this in a way that it is, again, it's, it's going to still be within, you know, boundaries and, and probably limits and things, but it just comes with your Salesforce and you don't have a separate contract, a separate, a separate credit card, a separate lead gen form and all that, then first of all, first of all, that's the way they need to do it that way. I don't know what they're planning. But the reason you're saying there's, they don't do this on a specific use case, there is no specific use cases. The use case. There's, there's thousands of specific use cases. You're talking about Salesforce hosting a container for you of your code and your logic. There's going to be a actually, fee I don't associated care who's, with that. I don't care who's hosting it. It doesn't matter who's hosting it. What's happening is Salesforce is managing who's hosting it. You can just, the thing about, the beauty about it is you can just drop it into Salesforce and Salesforce then takes it and does the right thing with it. I don't care if they put it on GCP, AWS, where they want, doesn't matter. It's a jar file or it's a Python thing or it's a Ruby thing, whatever. Or it's JavaScript, it's a, it's a Node app. I don't, I mean, I just, I just want them to do it within certain performance and security characteristics, but I don't care which one they can, they can, maybe they run it on their own, you know, their own cloud or whatever that means. I don't even know what that means, but, um, yeah, that's really powerful because there's just a lot of things that you can't do on Salesforce. Yeah. And I think from a, from an ISV for ISV perspective, that would be a great technology to have access to, but that depends on Salesforce doing it right. If, if a customer has to sign on and buy a license to it or pay for a certain amount of it, that's a no win. It, it's not going to get implemented. You're not going to convince the customer to go, oh, I can do everything in Apex and have it native, but I don't get XYZ, or I can pay extra on my freaking licenses for per user to gain access to this container that this some develop, random developer tells me I need. I just don't think it's, gonna, it's not going to work. But, it, but that's, that's not my argument anyways. My okay. argument isn't on usage. My argument is that it's not fully baked. I think they rushed the announcement of it, and I don't think it's going to be ready at all in 2020. Um, I think it's another year before we see anything concrete. Mm. See, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a, um, I don't think it's that big of an effort for them to do Evergreen. <clears throat> I mean, we say that, but we've, I mean, seen, we've seen plenty of announcements that are this kind of vague. With this yeah. big of, of technology switch for them, they just did not show up. VM Force, that's still my. I mean, think about Wave. <laughs> think about Wave. How long it took for that to become what it is today? Think about. Uh, and, and they replaced. They're replacing it with Tableau now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, think about Lightning no, too. VM VM Force, John. VM that, Force, but Lightning is another one that they announced really early, and it was yeah. at least a year before we could even really start doing anything. Oh. Con- anything usable. Years. With it, it was years. It was years. So I, did, I think this is another one of those examples where it's too early because they're not sharing enough information about it for me to feel confident that it's mm. ready enough this year. Well, let me just release. let me just say very very vaguely that I'm I may with some mm, boy I've got to be careful here. I, I'm literally just leave it to this. I'm, I may be able to change your mind with some more concrete information relatively mm. soon about Evergreen. That's so fine. That's yeah. fine. I would love to be wrong. And by the way, I also want to clarify, when I say that it's not that big of a thing for Salesforce to do this, I, I know there are a lot of people that are probably working very hard on this right now. I don't mean to undermine or, or, or meant, you know, underestimate their efforts. I'm just saying that it doesn't have to be that complicated. You're giving Salesforce a, a bundle of code, essentially, and they're deploying it for you and running it for you. So you don't have to create your own AWS account. And so you can run things that, that don't fit within the, the constraints of Apex, basically. And that would be really nice. Yeah. I would love that. So I, I would I, love I, to be wrong. I say it's happening. I'd love to be wrong. Anyway, well, John, we don't really have time to go through previous predictions, unfortunately. I mean, I guess we could just play them really quickly. 
Oh, can I do my last one then? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, certifications will continue to be devalued in favor of Trailhead badge score. That'd be I think, fine. I, think I, I don't see I don't see anyone I don't see anyone devaluing certifications though. They're still super important. I see employers caring about them more than ever. I think Salesforce cares about them more than ever. I think certifications are an archaic thing, and I think they're moving more towards the badges and the continuous learning that you get on Trailhead. And I think those numbers are going to be more important to Salesforce and to employers than your certification. What? Not saying they're going away. Not saying. All I'm saying is that the Trailhead badge score. Is going to be more important the things that you're continually learning on the, the exercises that you've yeah. proven that you've taken step by step to achieve are more important than answering the multiple choice questions okay so in, a, in an abstract way here's if we kind of fly up to fifty thousand feet and squint and look down at all this I, here's a way i may be able to agree with you what is the difference between at a, a very abstract level between a badge and a certification nothing nothing well, at, not, at, an, at an abstract, it's, at it's an, an abstract, but the, the way trailhead works in that the, you're actually having to perform the exercises. Or, let's call it a super badge. You know, if you think of okay. a, little, a little more concretely, like a super badge versus a, a certification. I mean, they're, they're, they both can be just a, a, a somewhat of a test of what you know, of what you, what skills you have. Sure. But I think, so I think is, those things are going to converge and maybe it's more certifications converging into into trail the trailhead system maybe that's fine yes well that's what i see happening i think i see i see everything moving more towards the trailhead badge the proprietary lms system that they developed and the way they're 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 managing that i think the certification process itself has way too much fraud has way too many issues it always in will itself. it always will and i yep. think the 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 way they've been moving towards mm -hmm. and the the way the platform works and the number of releases that they have just lends itself better to this more ongoing learning and training that's built into Trailhead than it does the certification process. Mm. Getting certified on something that changes three times a year means nothing, in my opinion. Well, that that's a whole other. I mean, you're I, I, <laughs> not that I disagree with you, but that's just a whole it's other. A that's a whole other rattle we could talk about for thirty minutes. But, oh, sure, but sure. But that's yeah. my prediction: is yeah. that um, I think we'll continue to see certifications, at least from employer eyes and everything else, become less of a uh, less of a priority or less of a, I don't, I don't know the right word, but it'll be less important than say what you can, what yeah. you can demonstrate on trailhead. And also, I mean, this whole, like their certification, like the whole, is it criterion or whatever the system's called that you do sort of the exams oh, through? I think so. Uh, web assessor. Yeah. Yeah. Web assessor slash criterion. I don't know if those are the same thing or not, but I mean, I'm sure Salesforce would be, would love to be able to sunset that thing. Right. Yeah. It's folded in trailhead. They don't own that. So. You know what? You say they don't. I feel like they kind of do, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like Salesforce is like, who's your daddy? Come on, Criterion. You know what's us. <clears throat> well, um, real quick, back to the core kind of thing. I didn't want to say. So I'm moving in about a month. And so I've, so I've my, basically my whole life, I've had some kind of satellite TV service. That's been my go-to service. because I feel like it's always been better than the local cable operators. <clears throat> at the new house that we're moving to, there will be no satellite dish installed. We're going to we're going to do this, John. You're going to cord cut. Yep. So who's, who are you going to use for your local TV? I, I don't know yet. I've got a lot of research to do. In yeah. fact, I need help from people. You've got YouTube who provides that. You've got Hulu who provides that. You have Sling who provides that. Uh, um, DirecTV does. DirecTV Now or Go, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah. They have a full internet-based thing. It's yeah. got DVR and all that. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, PlayStation View is going out of business because that was apparently a 
everyone who I know who used it really liked it. And I've seen it. Some, a friend of mine has it. It looks great. He, he runs the PlayStation View app on um, the Apple TV. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the whole guiding experience is really nice. I think I only used it once to watch one show and I never stayed up with it. So I wouldn't know. Yeah. But yeah. I heard it's really popular though. But so, I, yeah, so that's a problem I have to solve. And I also have to solve the problem of now my house is probably, I'm sure it's wired with like cat six or whatever. But I want to do as little, and this is probably a bad idea sure because, because Wi-Fi just, Wi-Fi sucks so bad. But I do, I need to, I got to figure out the, like, what should I go with as far as, um, like what wireless router should I use? Because I've always done the thing where I get one of the ones that's compatible with the third party, like the open source um, mm-hmm. firmware, because I'm kind of a nerd. And I like to do like, you know, set up the QoS settings and make a VPN and all this crap. Um, but I mean, I don't know if I want to go down that route. I, I'm probably going to need a, some one of the mesh things. What's the best mesh thing? Oh, I, have? I was going to say, is it, is it Eero, me, Eero or Google's to me, thing? mesh is a failed technology. No, it's, I don't think so. I, I, I cannot get a good review on any of them. And the ones I have tried have all sucked. Hmm. Well, I need I need advice from people. Um, the, yeah. the switching between the two mm-hmm. just doesn't happen well enough, especially when you're in so confined space. Like the the line between whether or not you're on one network or the other. And you're it, talking about True Mesh, like Eero yes. or like Google's, whatever yes. those are called. Have you you've used yes. you've tried these? Yes. And it didn't work well for you. It didn't work well. You know what's amazing? In my I lost connectivity when I was in a certain spot when it was trying to figure out which te- which which thing antenna to connect to. Really? And then and then <clears> performance <throat> was low. Like it wasn't. Hmm that big of a hop between the two, but yet I was still getting lower um, bandwidth on yeah. one of them versus the other. And even if the bat signal was strong, the bandwidth was still slow. I'm going to figure something out. Cause like my, in the new house on the, on the back porch, um, it's got an area where like you can plug in a TV and put a TV, but there's, it's not wired. For, it's got wired for AC. It's all news it's got, to me that you have a new house already. You didn't know that? I mean, no. What? You told me the last I heard is you were trying to sell your house <laughs> and you had to find a new one. I didn't yeah. know you found oh, one yeah, already. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know you've put down on it already that oh, you're yeah. ready to move in. And I didn't know you had an offer on your house. Yes. Yes. Every, uh, this has all happened since last time you and I talked. See, I don't think people believe that you and I don't talk between shows. We really don't, which yeah. is kind of sad, but we don't. <laughs> you know, I'm just, you, you said we were like family, but I don't believe that now. Oh, come on. We've been like family for 20 years. <laughs> Give me that bullshit. But anyway, no, so I, yeah, so in my back porch, it's, it's got a place um, where you can plug in a TV. Or, I mean, I assume that's what it's for. It's got an AC outlet, but there's no, you know, data wiring. So it's going to have to be, I don't want to r- try to rig up some uh, Cat 6 out there. So I'm, I'm just going to go, I got to, it's got to have good Wi-Fi out there. Yeah. Because that TV is going to run on Wi-Fi. Yep. And I'm thinking, well, maybe everything runs on Wi-Fi. It's not that bad, actually. My Apple TV runs on Wi-Fi and it's in the very yeah. back bedroom. It's not bad. I still have problems on Wi-Fi. Even things that are, you know, 10, 15 feet from the, from the router, I get, I have issues. I think that's just neighborhood interference. I've noticed that. That's the problem. And and I'm not going to get away from that. I yeah. mean, I've got, I'm going to be sandwiched in between neighbors just like I already am. So yeah. yeah, everything's so congested. Yep. I think, I think what's helping is people are not having home phones anymore. So they don't have that 2.4 gigahertz competing. Yeah. Um, which is the, which is the one that gives you the wider range than the five it does. gigahertz. Yeah, it does. 2.4 can penetrate better. Yeah. <laughs> not gonna go on. <laughs> all right john well we, we should wrap up i have to actually pick up my kids because i am wife's out of town so i'm i'm doing duty. double double duty you right said now duty. i did yeah um you're gonna put the why don't you put 2018 in, in the post credits 28 i i thought about that i should can i upload those somewhere or something or like because i've actually pulled out the individual clips you know what I? Uh, we I'll don't, just, we're not going to release right now because you got to go anyway. So okay. just edit it in as the end. Uh, I can do that. that's fine. 
Okay. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Would be funny or it would be interesting because it's like we won't be talking about it. So it's the end of the show. So no one, they yeah. can just turn it off. All right. Well, I do want to say that um, I'm sure, John, you've seen this, these, these fires in Australia. And I just want to say I'm, 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 I'm thinking about you guys. I'll, I mean, I've got several Australian friends. I know we have a lot of Australian listeners who have become friends. And so mm. that's, uh, that's a tough situation. It is. And if anyone wants to donate, I will send nude pictures. Um, so, oh, you haven't heard that story. <laughs> I guess I haven't. Okay. I'm like, what the hell is happening right it's now? It's only funny if you've heard the story <laughs> of a uh, Instagram model who uh, offered uh, nudes for $10 donations to the uh, Australian fire effort. Oh. And she's done pretty well with it, but they kicked her off Instagram. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and then our standard spiel of um, if you're listening and you haven't joined our Slack, please join our Slack. Um, you, you know, you can lurk. That's totally fine. But it's a, it's a it's a it's a support group. It's kind of comic relief. It's just it's a, th- that that is where this community gathers. Um, and it's a shame if you just listen and you you don't even uh, you don't at least check out this community. Um, so please do, uh, and you do that by going to gooddayserpodcast.com. And then you just click on community and put in your email address and John will manually add you. Or if you know someone who's already in, I, nowadays with Slack thing, you can, you can I see this happening all the time now. Yeah. People, uh, existing members can add you. Um, otherwise... Well, you can send the invite. I still have to approve it, so there's a little bit of a delay, but it's much easier than having yeah, someone yeah. go and sign up. And so. you're, you're pretty good about that. I mean, you respond to the Slack requests way faster than you respond to anything I ever send you. So, oh. so, so good on you, at least for that, but bad <laughs> on you for not responding to your friend. Um, uh, you can also get at us at, uh, on email, with, which is uh, info at gooddaystarpodcast.com. Um, that's where we take uh, anything you want to send us, really. Questions. You got questions. You want us to, you got a topic idea for us. We'll, we try to answer the questions on, on, on the air. Is that what it is? <laughs> on the air. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the radio. But per- I, the, the new part about this is, and I'm sure I've lost everyone by now, because as soon as you go into your closing spiel, everyone's like, oh, skip, done, bye. Um, but you can also now send us emails at info at goodaysterpodcast.com and just put the word sticker in the subject and then in the actual body of the email give us your uh your mailing address and we have because we have we had thousands of stickers good day sir stickers printed and we will send you stickers awesome. uh, international may be hard i don't know i gotta figure out how to do it in a way that won't you know cost me a steak dinner but well that's cheaper than trying to send mugs or oh yeah I mug, found mugs out. will kill you yeah, yeah. <laughs> have to dip into your 401k for that <laughs> uh, it just it, it'd be cheaper happening. it'd be cheaper to have a single mug printed in another country and then sh- shipped you know d- locally to wherever that yeah. is <laughs> there's not enough demand for mugs so <laughs> i mean no there are people love bugs people love mugs well okay i don't know why no just people love mugs people love t-shirts t-shirts are easier to send because they're lightweight but well i do have mugs I kind of need to get rid of if, them. I would say if you're in, if you're if you want a mug and you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, stop by our studio here and we'll, we'll give you a mug. <laughs> <laughs> we do need to do a print of shirts. The shirts we have, I think so. Yeah, I mean, as much as it's a pain in the butt, and it's expensive for us. Yeah. We we really should start that. Uh, I don't like the blue. We ones. really should start a back, fund. I want to go back to these ones because I'm starting yeah, to wear them out. Good. We have to figure out which brand that was in the model. I forget. I probably they probably have the same model still. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are good. Although I said my last one is ruined now. It, like some kind of bleach got on it and bleached a spot on it. So I don't even have a one of the charcoal well, ones. That adds anymore. to the vintage look that we It does. It's, yeah, I guess it's a patina. Yeah. <laughs> um that leads into my my last prediction that I didn't say. Oh, it's kind of a wow, neg though. Geez. It's a neg. Okay. Uh, so I want everyone to prove this wrong. And I I, I said we're gonna lose the podcast for. To what? The podcast the Salesforce podcast where we're gonna lose. Oh, to the oh you know yeah. what? Have have we talked about the other that Salesforce podcast? No. Oh, okay. I mean 
I mean, that was that was actually my. I don't, number I don't two, know that I have much to say about it. And then I, I, I do have it in my. I do subscribe to it and listen to it. And um, there, I, I like it. It's you know, I think that's why we did talk about this. Oh, yeah, we did. I think we yeah. did. I just didn't care. No, I, I, I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, it's a totally different. Uh, first of all, I don't think there's a war. <laughs> Second of all, you know, this is a big space. We can have, you know, we can have lots of podcasts. Oh, I don't know. I think we've been doing this long enough and we've seen the numbers. I don't think there's that many people in the Salesforce <laughs> ecosystem. There's definitely not 5 billion John, developers. just because we suck and we don't have that many subscribers doesn't, doesn't saying, mean that there's not successful saying, podcasts think, out there. You think at some point we'd get like a certain percentage. Uh, the numbers game is not working. Well, you know, if you if we were to send out an email to all 5 billion developers, you think we'd get 10% of that at least. Don't, don't, believe, that, don't believe that everything that Adam, what's his, Adam Seligman said. Okay, yeah. that's all I can tell you. Is he going? Goes hello, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Do I have that somewhere? I don't know. Do you? Anyway, um. Oh, you're still trying to find. Hi, it. everybody. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to yeah. Um, so we do stickers. Um, what else? That's it. Yeah, but we yeah we should do um. It'd be cool to do another run of shirts. <clears throat> All right, John. That's all I got. I got to go pick up some kids so that I don't get the cops call on me for not picking up my kids. <laughs> oh. oh, and thanks for your Vim article, by the way. <laughs> that was really helpful. That was awesome. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. <laughs> oh, 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 John. Oh, you're supposed to have it ready. You get nothing. You surprised me. You lose. That's what she said. Good day, sir.